you can turn to um, Matthew chapter 7. That's where we'll be today. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7. As you turn there, I'll tell you a, a little funny story from my week. Uh, I showed up at my desk uh, thinking about my sermon, and, and I noticed a little pile of testaments. There's these things called testaments. It's a play on words. They're mints with scripture on the package, so they're called testaments. The funny thing with testaments is um, some people hand them out to spread the word of God with like a little bit of fresh breath along the way. Um, others of us kind of mock the testament because we're like, really? Really? We're going to put scripture on a mint package and call it a testament? There's this sort of like Christian subculture mockery that goes on and Sometimes, you know, I, I find myself in that category. Last week, the, the sermon was on judgment and to not judge, because that's how the way you judge will be the way that you are judged. And so be careful with how you think about others and what you think about them. But so I think the Lord was just having a funny moment with me. So I just said, Lord, I need a testament. And uh, so I, this is a a true story. The first one I grabbed was the, the beginning verse for today, Matthew 7, 7. And I just read it and I said, okay, Lord, a testament has spoken to me t- <laughs> today. And he does work in mysterious ways. So that was, that was a funny little moment for me in the Lord. Isn't it cool how sometimes he does sync things up You ask for something, and he provides, or you don't ask, and he gives you what you need. And so we're going to turn to the Word. Um, The Lord was bringing me there in lots of different ways, and and we'll we'll come under the teachings of Jesus. Um, We're in the middle of a really beautiful, robust, and very thick um, teaching. And this whole chapter is about judgment, but it comes, here comes in verse 7, really a beautiful promise in the midst of that. And so I'll be reading, you can uh, listen along. So Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So Jesus makes a turn and he he puts this statement out there that uh, it's so good, it's it's able to be misquoted and just kind of drawn out into a culture. Ask, you will receive. Seek, you will find. Knock, it will be opened. 
It's, it's a beautiful, poetic statement. Um, but what is Jesus talking about? If you think about all the things that you've asked for in your life, ask, you will receive. So often we'll ask, and, you know, it doesn't seem like we receive. We seek, and it doesn't seem like we find what we're looking for. And it's just like frustration and turmoil and struggle, confusion, discontent, a lack of understanding. Why is God working this way? You want to trust him amidst this asking and not receiving, and yet you struggle. Because it says, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find. It's set up like a promise. It's not saying like some of you will ask and some of you will find. Uh, No, everyone, everyone who asks finds. Everyone who seeks finds what they're looking for. Uh, We're really good at asking. I mean, I think we've been good at asking since we were little. Seeking is a little bit more interesting, um, a little bit more mysterious. What are you searching after? What are you seeking after? A little bit more open-ended than just asking for a gift or something in particular. And then knocking is sort of like you're confronted with something when you have to knock. Knock is to imply, you know, skin in the game or some physical action. You know, I can knock on a wood podium here. And there's resistance and there's, um, with knocking, it's kind of set up like knock at this door and you will find what you're looking for on the other side. But what is Jesus talking about? I mean, is he basically giving us a blank check? And this is where I think this passage can be um, challenging. Because later on, Jesus would say, ask me anything. Ask me anything in my name, and I will do it. It, It's as as if Jesus is just opening it up. He's saying, you can ask me for whatever you want, and I will do it. And if we follow that line of thought, it can lead into sort of muddy waters where we struggle with, okay, well, why is the Lord doing this now when I would rather him do this? And that's where um, we, we see a challenge here. Even when we know what to ask for, we still mess it up. In fact, this passage, like if you pull it out and put it on a testament, it, it's very open-ended. But if you place it back in the teachings of Jesus, it becomes more specific. So Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Well, did he not just say, well, this is how you should ask. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we also forgive. Lead us not into temptation. That's how we should ask. That's what we should ask for. And then we talk about seeking, and I mentioned the mystery of seeking. Seeking is a fun cultural word. You could ask anyone on the street, hey, what are you seeking in life? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, that's, I have an answer. That's a fun question to ponder. You wouldn't necessarily offend anyone if you asked them, like, what are you seeking in life? I don't think you'd necessarily offend anyone. They'd have a thought. They may be taken back by the thought but, or the question, but they would 
They'd be like, oh yeah, well, I'm seeking this. I'm seeking that. Um, But here Jesus said, well, do you want to know what to seek? Seek first the kingdom and all the rest is going to be added unto you. He just said that. So even the seeking in this passage is very specific. The knocking, I think, I've just had a fun thought. You can take or leave this thought. It's in the category of fun. Um, the knocking, I, think I was really thinking, oh, knocking on a door, and then I looked back at what Jesus said. Jesus just said two verses earlier, take the plank out of your own eye before you try to take the speck of dust out of your brother's eye. How do you take a plank out of your own eye? He hasn't really talked about that yet. And then he says, ask, and you will receive. Seek, and you will knock. Or seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. And the the fun part that you can take or leave, the knocking, I've kind of wondered, like, what is it to knock on the plank of your eye (laughs) and try to remove? How does one remove a plank from their own eye? And, and then this passage follows. So, But this is really, I think, the strangest part of this passage is that we know all that. Jesus has been kind of specific on what to ask for, what to seek, maybe even what to knock after. And yet, we get to this verse, and we're like, oh, ask, and we'll receive. Seek, we'll find. It's like a, it's like a blank check, like I mentioned. It, it feels just, wow. The whole game has changed here. I can pretty much ask the Lord anything, and he's going to do it, and I'm going to trust in faith that he's going to do that. So the strangest thing is that even when Jesus just said what to ask for, when he just said what to seek after, it's like we immediately forget all of that, and we hear him say, ask and receive, and we're like, you know, Wild animals at VBS asking (laughs) all kinds of things. Think about all the crazy things that you've asked the Lord to do in a moment. Like, well, Lord, if this, if you just do this now, it's going to, this is a good thing for me right now, Lord. Please work this out. And we do it. We do that. And it's natural. Even when we know how to ask. You can look at the disciples' lives with the seeking. The first question he asked them, what are you seeking? And, he, and they said, well, where are you staying? And he said, oh, come and see. And then they started walking with him, the ups and downs, the valleys. He'd feed the thousands, and he'd say, now you go and do it. And they'd be like, what? He'd heal somebody, and he'd send them out to heal and, and cast out demons. They'd come back, and they were like, well, they wouldn't listen to us. And, and they, he'd go on and on. In John chapter 6, it gets really hard. The crowd leaves Jesus because he starts saying these kinds of things that people are just like, I'm walking away. They start walking away. Some of the disciples leave Jesus. It comes down to the 12, and he says to them, well, are you going to turn away also? And Peter says, Lord, to whom else would we turn? You hold the words of eternal life. Well, it's the same Peter that would go on, and he would deny his Lord. And later on, even after the resurrection, when the, the 11, now it's from the 12 to the 11, Okay, they lost a man. They're a man down because he took himself 
out of the pursuit of Christ. And he uh, is gone. It's down to the 11. It says, the 11 went to Galilee to seek out the risen Lord on the mountain. And it says they worshiped him there. But it also says that some doubted. Even the 11 disciples, post-resurrection, are wondering as they are given sort of the keys to the kingdom and the call of the church, they have some doubts. Who are they seeking after? What is he doing? Can he be trusted? We see it in Paul's life. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, he really opens up to the church. He opens up before the church and he says, look, I have a thorn in my flesh. And he doesn't go into great detail, but he does get vulnerable. And he says, I've prayed over and over again for the Lord to remove this thorn. But the only thing he said to me is that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul asked for something specific. He didn't get it. He didn't receive like he thought he should receive. And the Lord said, well, this is all you're going to get. And what about, again, I want to bring this question back to you. What are you seeking in your life? What are you pursuing? Jesus frames it in an example here. He goes on. I think he, he realizes, okay, this is a pretty broad statement. I need to give them an example. <laughs> so that's what he does. Just like in the previous passage with uh, taking the plank out of your own eye, he sets this principle, and then he gives this example. He does the same thing in this passage. This principle, which is true, and then he gives this example in verse 9, one that we can all relate to. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if, his, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? And we've all been uh, in the position of seeing someone and giving them something good. And the interesting thing about this example is that a stone can be deceptive when it comes to taking the form of a piece of bread. You know, you could... (laughs) The worst thing that would happen is if you thought a stone was a piece of bread. Because you'd take a bite. (laughs) Or if you thought a serpent was a fish. A fish is meant to sustain, and it's, it's kind of creepy and scaly like a, skir- a serpent, but it won't sting and bite you necessarily like a serpent will. And that's the example is that even you earthly fathers know how to give good gifts to your children, and you're not going to deceive them with something that appears to be good but isn't good. It's kind of like one of those in the same way I, uh, I want to tell you a story from my own life. Um, I hope that it's relatable in your own life when it comes to the idea of good gifts. Um, the title of this story is called The Bee Sting, and it happened yesterday. <laughs> We're all still here. But um, the story is called The Bee Sting, and I was with two of my kids at a soccer game watching one of our other kids in a playoff soccer game, pretty much like the typical Saturday afternoon. Wasn't it beautiful yesterday, too? And we were just having a great moment. We sat up in the bleachers, and this carpenter bee started to come after us. 
And the two kids, they just started flailing about, like freaking out, just being like all, you know, crazy. And I'm like, guys, calm down. Like the reason the carpenter bee is coming after us is because you're creating a ruckus, a motion. You're just like, they, you know, dart to one side of me, then they go over here and they go over here, like running from the bee, but only going like a few feet. And he'd just stay in the vicinity. So they just kept, I was like, guys, chill. And I'm not the best yeller, I, when I get, but I get really angry, but I'm not very good at yelling. It's actually not that good of a thing. It sounds good, but it cannot be good also because you're kind of sending mixed messages all the time. So I get like really angry on the inside, but again, I'm not the best yeller, you know, so I'm just like, guys, you know, chill out. The reason this bee is messing with you is because you're freaking out. You're just like creating a commotion. So then, because I don't communicate my anger necessarily the best, they, they just keep, keep it going. And so I'm like, not my best moment as a father, but I pinched one of them on the arm. I was like, mm. and they're too old to pinch. They're like beyond the age of pinching. And, uh, but as they get older, you kind of realize they may never leave the age of pinching. So you, you have, you know, well... Anyway, like I said, it wasn't my best moment as a father. And so I pinched them, and, and, uh, and then they finally calmed down because they were like, okay, dad's really angry here. Like, this is legit anger. So, um, <laughs> so they, they sat down, and they calmed down. And, but the bee kept just coming at us. And so then they finally, like, moved a few benches down because they are like, well, we're out of here, and we need to get away from dad anyway. So I sat there, and I look below the seat, and I see a pile of carpenter bee dust right below me. And it was like in that moment, you know, like I thought I was a good father. I thought that I knew it was good for my kids. I thought... I knew it was good or what they needed. But I didn't. I was, I know it's a simple example, but it was one of those moments with the Lord where it's like, you are not a good father. You don't know what they need in every moment. And that's what the Lord is doing here. He says, you give, we could put good in quotes, you give good gifts. Where does any good gift come from that you have ever given? If you trace that goodness back to the source, where does that come from? And then when we start, you know, like giving these good gifts, we start feeling good. And uh, we're like, I'm, I'm actually a pretty good gift giver, whatever. And um, Jesus says, no, you who are evil, how much more is the Father giving good things to those who ask him? And so I think the big connection in this passage is that we all think that we know what good is apart from God. 
But the reality is that there is no good apart from God. He is the only good, the only gift giver. James 1 talks about how every, every good and perfect gift is from above, from the heavenly Father who within him, he's not changing. There is no shifting shadow in his identity. Like you have many shifting shadows. But he is the good gift giver. And what Jesus is saying is that we cannot separate our asking and our seeking um, with our understanding of how differently good God is. And we fall into all kinds of confusion when we think, like, God, I know what I need. I know the good I need. So you ask, but you don't receive that good because it's actually not good. It's anything but good. And then you, you're just like, well, Lord, why is it so difficult? Why, are, you know, why is everyone being poured out unto death? Why is there all this sickness, disease? And why are bad things happening to apparently good people all the time? And, and Jesus is saying something entirely different, which is all the good is here from within. The gospel writer Luke, he, where it says, um, you know, how good do the good things come from you? He mentions, well, the good, the it is the Holy Spirit. How much more will he give you the Holy Spirit to guide and sharpen you into all truth? So I think the big question, big takeaway from this passage is, do you trust God in his goodness? Or do you fear his goodness? Because it ha- m- might change you. It might keep changing you to be more like his good self. And we all know that good is one of those strange things that, okay, we're all like, well, yeah, we all know we're not great, right? But we're all pretty good, fill in the blank on anything. Good is, feels pretty attainable. And, and that's the, the greatest mystery, I think, in this passage is Jesus saying, ask me for this good thing. And then we experience the layers of what appears and feels like goodness. And then God doesn't bring the goodness that we want. And then it leaves us with questions. And um, good questions, you know. The thing I love, too, about this passage is that Jesus, I do do feel like he leaves it open-ended. Go ahead. Ask. Ask. Seek. Knock. Because you will receive. You will find. The door will be opened. And I will pour out my spirit upon you if you would ask. So as we just walk away from this passage this morning, as you ponder it this week, a couple things I want to put in front of you. Um, First, you know, a reasonable first question from this text is, Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? We talk about this really as belief or um, being born again. 
becoming a Christ follower, making Jesus your Lord. But Scripture talks about it, how this Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of truth, Jesus talks about it in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. Throughout those chapters, he just opens it up, and you should go back and read through this. He, he talks about how the Spirit of truth will come to guide you into all truth. He will convict of sin, and he will also teach about righteousness. And he, if, if Jesus does not go away, the Holy Spirit cannot come and continue. Jesus says, I have more things to say to you, but I'm going to send the Spirit of truth that will live within you, if only you would ask. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It's a sentence in the Bible. And he says, when you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promise of the Holy Spirit. So this Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God coming to dwell within you like a temple and dwell within the church with the authority of Christ to go and do what we're called to do, not in our own power, but in the power of Christ and his spirit. And that is what it means to be uh, to take the Holy Spirit into your life. So it begins with this, what we call born again. Everything in you, you thought it was maybe good, but it was dead. And there's, there's the physical life, which plays out in death. So the physical breath of life causes confusion, confusion all over the world because it appears to be so eternal, but it's so temporary. You know, we're all being poured out unto death day by day, but our inner selves are being renewed day, day by day by the Holy Spirit. What we see is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal, which is the work of the Holy Spirit amidst his people and in his people. So a good first order question is, have you asked for the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Holy Spirit and surrendered your life to total lordship of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And that can happen in a moment. It can happen as a process. It, it does involve kneeling and surrendering and bowing and asking the Lord lots of questions that maybe don't have perfect answers, but there sits a perfect God presenting himself. If you would only ask, you would receive the fullness of the Spirit. And then this leads into the second question, not to question if you have the Holy Spirit, but to question why are you struggling so much if, in fact, you do have the Holy Spirit? So I'm not trying to call that decision into question. I'm calling, why are you so worried and compartmentalized and divided and seeking after so many different things? does not mean that we don't seek after the good parts of the life. The good parts of the life are there for, from the Lord. His glory rests in all of creation that we, we enjoy. So I don't think we need to say all of earthly activity is bad. No, but we need to connect all that the Lord is doing into us, into every moment of life. And that's the, the second application is... Um, 
really maybe a simple way to kind of put it into a moment in time is just to encourage you to get on your knees before the Lord this week. We sang about bowing. We've talked about asking. Have you been on your knees before the Lord? Just asking, seeking, knocking, speaking to him and asking him for more of him and what he has to give you. So, a lot of the songs we sing talk about kneeling, and this room, maybe, we don't have the little things that fold down in the rows that you can kneel. Those would be kind of cool to have in some ways, but we don't have those. Um, We're not necessarily a kneeling congregation in our liturgy. So, we shouldn't sing these songs about kneeling without kneeling, physically kneeling before the Lord. Maybe that's something you do every day, and you probably like, yeah. So maybe, maybe the challenge for you is a little bit different, but maybe that's something that you have not done in a long time. Then do that. Humble yourself before the Lord. I'm going to invite the prayer, t- uh, the prayer team and the worship team up as we close um, just with a, a time just for you to, to set your heart before the Lord in prayer, asking, seeking, and knocking. And and just walk away with this question, what are you seeking after? What are you pursuing? What are you knocking down in this life? Um, I want to close with just a fun, familiar passage uh, from a novel from C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It kind of really gets at the heart of this passage, which, do we trust God and his goodness? And will we come toward him, even though he's not maybe perfectly... Uh, safe, but he's willing to change us into something good. So Mr. Beaver is talking to Susan in the storyline, describing, and he says, Aslan is a lion. By the way, Aslan's a lion, the lion, the great lion. Oh, said Susan, I'd thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And we do worship that Jesus, who is the king. You can bow your heads. We close our time together. Lord, thank you for the sweetness of your spirit in our midst. And I pray a blessing over each person and those uh, related to us and associated with us. God, I pray just for an outpouring of your spirit into each person's life, and that, Lord, you would make it clear to them um, how to come to you, approach, and ask, and seek you for all things. And we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and uh, your amazing character. It is so good. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.